Morning, church. You can be opening your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're going to spend most of our time there. There we go. And the title of the lesson this morning is Peace and Hope. Two things that I hope you're really excited about. Who here loves peace? Who here wants hope? Okay, good. The rest of you that didn't raise your hands, we'll pray for you. Hopefully you get there by the end of the service. Uh, but before we open up the Word of God, let's pray. Father, we love you so much and we're so grateful just for the privilege of coming here and worshiping you this morning. Thank you for those that have served, you know, from the guys that plugged in the wires to the people that are watching our kids so we can worship here unencumbered. To, to the singers who have led us through worship, God, and, and, and Lord, but none of this is possible without you, without your son. And I pray, God, that as we um, look into your word today, as we learn about peace and hope, God, that, that our hearts can be moved and changed, that we can walk out these doors today, different people. We love you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. We're going to read Romans 5, 1 through 5, and then we'll break it down a little bit. It says, therefore, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul starts off and he tells us, therefore... Since we have been justified, and in parentheses you can see up here, like this little phrase that, 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 that I like to use. I got it from a guy named Gordon Ferguson. He wrote a book back there on Romans. If you want to pick up his book, it's an amazing book. But just this whole idea of justified. Now, justifying is not a way to win an argument. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. It's not, I'm justifying myself. When he talks about being justified through faith, the way God sees us when we've made that faithful decision to follow Jesus. This isn't just an intellectual belief that Jesus is the Son of God because I read some books and I heard some sermons or I prayed a prayer. This is not that. This is someone that's heard about Jesus. They've seen what Jesus has done in their lives and the lives of other people. And they have made a conscious decision to give their lives to him and to turn their lives and live the rest of their life for him. That's what faith is. That's biblical faith, at least. It's not just the thinking of or just believing something. There's an action to it. And he says, since we have been justified, and that word justified is this, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I had never done it. Like So when God sees us and when he sees someone who has put their faith and Jesus, who here has done that? Come on, are y'all excited? Y'all, huh. Come on, guys, you put your faith in Jesus, right? Okay, 
you're justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. So when God sees me, it's like he sees somebody that's perfect and God knows I'm not perfect. And I know you guys aren't perfect. But when we put our faith in Jesus, when we've actually made that conscious decision to turn our lives over to him, to repent of our sins, to get baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, to to make that faithful step to live for him the rest of our lives. He says, when I look at you, it's just as if you'd never sinned. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. He says, we've been justified through faith. We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, peace with God is a state of being. It's not just a feeling. It's the idea that we are no longer enemies of God. We are at peace with God. You know, sometimes we mistake peace with God with just peace in our world and peace in our surroundings. Actually, a lot of times when you are at peace with God because of your faith, you are not at peace with the rest of the world. What matters more to you, peace with God or peace with the rest of the world? See, when we make that faithful decision that leads to us being justified, it gives us peace with God, but peace with the world doesn't always follow. And I don't know about you guys, but that I don't like that sometimes. I'm like, I want people to like me. I want to say something nice so they'll like me. I want people to chuckle when I make a joke. You know, like I want that. You know what I mean? But does peace with God matter to me more than peace with the world? And that's what he's, at, what he's talking about. Peace with the world is not something to be hoped for. It's something to, that we can hope for, but it's not something that's promised. The fact is, when we have peace with, the, peace with God, it will leak over into our relationships. Uh, flip in your Bibles, hold Romans chapter 5, but flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul, again, he writes, For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace. Who's made the two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And Paul is talking to a church that's kind of divided because of the, the, the different types of backgrounds they come from. They got the religious people and they got the non-religious people. And he's saying, hey, Jesus came for all of you. He came for the Jews and the Gentiles. I love looking around at our church. Because, man, we have so many different nationalities it's not just all white, all black, all Asian, all Latino. Man, I mean, our band was completely different nationalities up here. And I just love looking around at the church and seeing the different nationalities because that's what peace with God will actually lead to when it comes to other people who have put their peace and their faith in Jesus Christ. It's like all of a sudden all the walls start dropping down. It's not about the color of your skin or how much money you have or whether you grew up religious or not religious. 
the dividing walls of hostility come down. I'm so grateful for that. I couldn't, like, it's because of God that I'm married to the woman that I'm married with. And I love that. Peace with God leads to some amazing things, but it doesn't always lead to peace with the world. We follow the Prince of Peace, but don't forget that very Prince of Peace. He said, I didn't just come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. So you might be at peace with God, but peace with God might not always lead to peace with the world. And it says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And I love that it says, through whom, through Jesus We gained access. He is the doorway. He is the bridge. He's the thing that bridges us to God. We have access to him into this grace, this insurmountable. I can't even come up with a good word. That's insurmountable. I can't even calculate it. Infinity grace in which we now stand. Is anybody here this morning standing in the grace? Are you guys standing in the grace? I mean, this is exciting. We could actually do like a whole, we could spend the rest of the year talking about these two scriptures, about what peace with God leads to, about being justified, about standing in the grace with God. You know, I always picture this standing with the grace, standing in the grace of God. I picture it of coming out of a rainstorm. And I know here in California, you might not have too many of those. Uh, Where I grew up in Georgia, we'd have thunderstorms all the time. And I loved thunderstorms. Uh, actually, I grew up running, or I, I, sorry, no, I didn't grow up running. I was a runner. I wasn't good at other sports, so I started running and was pretty good at that. And I would love to just go out and run in the rain. But have you ever been out in the rain and you dressed in your nice church clothes or something and you have to get an umbrella, or you got to hold a jacket over your head and you come out of the rain and then you come into the, the shelter and you're like, oh, protection, shelter. That's what I think of the grace of God is like. I've been living out in the world. I've been all encumbered by this sin. I'm getting pelted right now. And then once I'm in the grace, I'm standing in the grace. I just feel like his protection. No more rain on me. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I just, I wish Paul stopped there. Don't you? Don't you wish he just stopped and he said, you know what, like we are justified through our faith in Jesus. It's just as if you'd never sinned. You have peace with God. You have access into his faith. Jesus has provided this doorway and you are now standing in the grace so you can have hope. You can boast in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, you know, hope is not just some feeling. It's, it's, it's actually like a desire accompanied with an expectation that God's glory is going to be shown. Not, I hope it is. It's going to be shown. And that's, I wish he'd just stop there. But he doesn't. And he keeps on, he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Come on, baby. Anybody excited about that one? I do not like this. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. You know, this is funny. This is something I do, and this might be just a preacher thing, but I'm like, when I don't like something, I go look the Greek. Go look up at the Greek to see if that, the translation is actually accurate. 
Now, I'm not a scholar. I've never studied Greek or anything like that, so I don't know. So I have to go online and look at the words. I'm like, okay, that word, that's, I, I have to like look at the characters of the Greek alphabet and, and compare them. And I'm like, I wonder, what is it to mean to even glory in your sufferings? Like, let me look up the Greek word for glory. <laughs> because he just talked about the glory of God, and then he talks about glory in our sufferings. I'm like, what does that even mean? So I go and look it up. I can't pronounce it for you guys. But what the, what the word actually looked like was the same word that he just used for boast. Or in other translations, it says rejoice, which just isn't any better. Rejoice or boast in my sufferings. So let me look at my. Let me look up sufferings. What does he mean by that? Because I don't like to rejoice in my sufferings. And let me tell you, the word that is used in the Greek is far worse than sufferings. It did not help me at all. It was a word that comes. You've heard of the word tribulation, right? Or afflictions. Tribulation comes from about 300 years after Jesus died. Uh, That word comes from the Latin, which comes from the Greek that they put in here for suffering, which is this whole idea. It's actually a word picture. So when a person reading this verse would have had a picture go in their mind. And the picture is of this instrument that a farmer would use when he was harvesting wheat. Okay, and so they would get the wheat, or is that right? Yeah, they would get the wheat, the grain, sorry. They would get the grain, and they would lay the grain on the ground, and there was this wood instrument with, like, sharp, like, you know, nails or, like, points on it. And the, the instrument that this word picture for suffering, this instrument would be thrown over and violently raked over the grain. And the whole goal was to separate the good wheat from the bad wheat, the wheat that they're going to use and the chaff, in other words. And so that was this. That's the picture that they're getting is this violent process where God is separating the good from the bad. So that did not make me feel any better. (laughs) But isn't that how God works? See, in each one of us, there's good and there's bad. And God is working on us constantly to divide it, to to, to reveal it, to get it out of each one of us. The reason you go through suffering is because God is really rolling this thing over you. He's kind of like trying to reveal something in you in order to produce something good. You know, when I have... See, the thing is, is we, we, all, we all have chaff. That's the bad stuff. We have bad attitudes. We have pride. We have hidden agendas. We have secret sin. Sometimes our thoughts just get downright nasty. And if people knew your thoughts, you would be ashamed of them. And God's like, I've got this place that I want to get you to. But I've got to take you through something. I've got to... You kind of have to go through some suffering. I'm gonna, I gotta separate the good and the bad. Now, I know that when I'm going through some tough times, 
it means that God is working on me in some way. And when I don't have that type of perspective, I naturally go to just grin and bear it and complain to whoever will listen. That was honestly what I was hoping suffering meant when I looked it up in the Greek. Like, okay, can it just mean that? Just push through? You know, because I want to get to character. I want to get to hope. But you don't get there without going through suffering. But suffering in and of itself doesn't do anything for you without the right mindset. The key word in the whole text is that word glory. Glory in your suffering. Rejoice in your suffering. Knowing that when God is doing something in your life or when something is happening in your life that you feel is like, this is suffering. I am being raked over the coals here. I am going through a tough time. I am being tested. I am being tempted. God is trying to show you something in your life. And if you, if you don't have the right mindset, you will waste your suffering. So just because you're suffering does not mean you're doing okay. It's the mindset that you have as you're going through the suffering. It's that mindset. You know, sometimes we're suffering because we made a bad decision. Anybody here suffered because they made a bad decision? Yeah, if you ever had to pay, to spe- pay a speeding ticket, that was, that was suffering for sure when you had to pay it, but you, you shouldn't have been speeding. You know, that was your own bad decision. Okay, I just, that comes to mind because I just had to pay a speeding ticket a few weeks ago. It was, I was suffering. But isn't it funny because I had to pay the speeding ticket and I, and I justified it, though. I was like, well, you know, I had to get around the person and they were they were just slowing down to, to turn left. And I just needed to get around them. And I was frustrated. And I I went from five miles an hour over to about 12 miles an hour over. And and, and the police officer caught me right then. I mean, if that wouldn't have happened. And I'm like, man, I didn't learn anything from that. I just got frustrated. I just complained. I just grinned and 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 paid the guy. And that was it. I didn't learn anything from that suffering. Versus, wow, you know what? What, do I, what did my kids think? Because they were in the car. Like, God wanted to teach me something there, and that was a missed opportunity on my part. And we have those opportunities all the time. Sometimes you're suffering because you're making the right decision, And others just don't like it. Sometimes that's what suffering is. Sometimes you're suffering because someone else made a bad decision. Sometimes you're suffering because you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or maybe you're suffering because someone you love is suffering and you're just suffering alongside them. Let me ask you a question. What matters more? The fact that you are suffering or your mindset through it. I think Paul would look at us and say, it's not that you're suffering. It's your mindset. Hold your spot here and go over to, I think it's 2 Corinthians. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6. This is like one of those just unfair scriptures. Paul writes, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. 
But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassing great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Did you get that? God said, hey, I'm just going to give you a thorn in your flesh. And and he doesn't tell us what it is. He just, and I think that's good because we can all relate. I don't know about you guys, but I've always thought the thorn in the flesh is whatever I struggle with. That Paul has. I have my own thinking on what it might be. But he just says, God gave me this just to keep me from being conceited. I mean, that's just unfair. But suffering isn't always fair. God is using suffering because he wants to weed something out of us. And maybe, like Paul's sake, he just wants you to be a little bit more reliant on him. So don't waste your suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. I read a story, um, and I hope you guys have some strong stomachs. Um, There's a part of this story that's kind of like, oof. But in in the 1970s, during the, the Vietnam War, there was a guy named Haim Pham. And he was a translator for missionaries that were going over to Vietnam. And... He and the missionaries got caught and they were they were prisoners in Vietnam. And while he was there, one of the things that they were trying to do was to indoctrinate him into their way of thinking, which was communism. And he was struggling in his faith. Really having a hard time in his faith. And they would constantly belittle them and hurt them and beat them. And he got to a point where he was like, I'm just ready to give up on my faith. And he got relegated to bathroom duty, which bathroom duty in a prison is not glorious at all. It is the lowest job that he could have relegated, been relegated to. And as he was cleaning in the bathroom, he noticed a piece of paper with some English writing on it. And, but it had human excrement on it. But he, he had so wanted to have the English writing or see what it said that he took it, took it back to his cell. And at night, when nobody was around, nobody could see him, because if he got caught with doing something like this, he probably could have been killed. He cleaned it off, and he went to read it. And it was Romans chapter 5. And he requested bathroom duty for the rest of the time. Because the commander of the jail at the time was using the Bible to wipe. And that was how he got access to the Word of God. And he'd continue to read the Word of God. His faith got built back up. He started praying to God. Yeah, by the way, if you have an excuse about reading the Word of God, just that's a freebie for you, okay? No excuses. When I read that, I was like, whoa. But he started praying to God. 
And he started rebuilding his faith just through the book of Romans, really, because that's all that he had. And he started rebuilding his faith. And then after some time went, he had started praying to be rescued. And they were able to develop a plan, he and the missionaries, to escape. But some of the Viet Cong found out about it, and he lied to them in the process. And he made a commitment because he felt so bad that if they ask me again, I'm going to tell them the truth. And sure enough, right before they were getting on the boat, they came back to him because he was convicted. He was like, I've got to tell them the truth, that this is what we're doing. He told them the truth, and the four Viet Cong guys that showed up to him, instead of putting him back in jail or turning him into other authorities, they said, can we come with you? And it was because of those four guys who were expert sailors, and they went through some storms on their way to Thailand, that they were all able to make it safely, had those four guys not got on the boat, had he not told the truth about what was going on. Don't waste your suffering, because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, it means you take a licking and you keep on ticking. That's what perseverance means. It keeps your head, it's like I'm keeping my head above water, it's I'm praising God through the persecution. And this is the stage on, in which God is letting you, letting things happen and you are working through it, praising Him through the process. That's what perseverance is. This is what happens when your perspective on suffering is right. You move right into perseverance. It's doing the right thing, and I'm just going to say for a set amount of time. I wish I could tell you how long you have to persevere, but I can't. Sometimes it's forever. Like Paul, he's like, I just got this thorn in my flesh, and it's forever. And it's only to keep me uh, from being conceited. It's only to keep me relying on his grace. It's not giving up, even though it's bleak. But you can't truly persevere without the right perspective. It's saying, I know what I'm going through, but God has a plan. It's like, okay, I know that my heart is on construction right now. It's under construction. But there is something grand happening because I'm moving towards character. I'm moving towards hope. That's what perseverance means. It means there's something being built in me, so I have to stick it out. And so I got to stick it out in my marriage. I got to stick it out in my parenting. I got to stick it out in this relationship. I got to stick it out in my giving and my serving and my praying. I'm not going to give up on him because he is not giving up on me. That's what perseverance looks like. The right perspective of suffering produces perseverance in us. And then after perseverance, we get character. How many people here have character? <laughs> uh, okay, I'm gonna, I'll say it. You know, we have a culture where people just lack character. And the problem is, we don't like the first two steps. I just want character. You ever been inspired to have character? I just want some character. Where's the app that I can download to get some character? Is there like an eight-minute YouTube video that I can watch that's going to help me have character? Like, there is no easy road to character. It's going to take suffering and perseverance to get you to character. But the problem is we live in a society where we get instant gratification from almost everything. And I laugh about this every now and then. How many people here had pagers? Yeah, you're going to date yourself, but that's okay. 
So, so if you had a pager, that means you know about dial-up internet, right? Like dial-up internet was so slow. And I mean, if you were like, you could do so many other activities while surfing the web with dial-up internet. If you wanted to watch a video back in the day, you could start the download, get ready for church, come to church, have a long conversation after church, go to lunch afterwards, come back, and then the video might be done downloading. And then you can watch it if your computer didn't crash in the process. But it's funny because, you know, I grew up around dial-up too. And then now if my page doesn't load in three seconds, I'm mad. Anybody here like feel that way? And it's funny how I can switch from, well, I used to be really patient when it came to the internet. And now if I don't get it quickly, like I just, I just went to Time Warner because of this. I'm like, Time Warner Internet is way faster than AT&T, which is a hard thing for me to say because I used to work there. Um, but we want instant gratification. But that does not work when it comes to building character. Character doesn't happen instantly. Some of us don't have character either because we haven't been tested or we quit when the testing started to come. When the marriage got tough, we stopped giving our heart. When your boss got mad at you and, God forbid, he cussed at you, you quit your job. When your teacher didn't give you a fair grade, you complained about the teacher. Instead of learning that, you know, maybe there's some, maybe I'm suffering here. Maybe I can learn something through this. Let me have the right perspective. When the finances got tight, instead of praying to God and, and relying on God and you know, we get creative in a sinful way sometimes. We lie to get out of trouble or to not look bad. Like, we need men and women with character. But you can't shortchange the process. We can all be excited about having men and women with character. But in order to get there, you have to be excited. And you have to rejoice in the suffering because you know what it's going to produce. You know that it's going to eventually lead to your character being formed. And guys, when you have character, it is amazing. We have to be tested before we can be trusted. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily like that. I don't like the character-forming process, but I do love the result. Because where do you get after character? You get hope. You ever been through something twice? The second time is a little bit easier, isn't it? Because you have hope. Ask any parent in here that has two kids. It's not easier having two kids. The difference is the hope, the expectation. You know what you're getting into. Our first time going to the hospital, giving birth, oh man, we were a nervous wreck. The second time, Lashana was so relaxed. She's like, let me get my nails done. Let me get my hair done. We just knew what to expect. You know, bringing them home, I knew what it was going to be like to not have sleep. Before, you guys told me I wasn't going to get sleep, but I thought for some reason I might be the exception. But, and see, that's what hope does. It, it, it kind of gets you to this place where you can expect to overcome it. But you can't get there without suffering 
producing, care, producing perseverance, and then character being developed in you. It's a process. You don't just get hope. You've got to work at it. I want to watch a video right now of this guy named Elliot Kipchoge. A week ago yesterday, this guy broke the two-hour barrier for the marathon. In other words, he ran a marathon. I'm just going to tell you guys some stats here because I like these. He ran a marathon 26.2 miles in under two hours, which he ran it in four minutes and 34 seconds per mile is the average. And if you really want to break it down, that's about 112 laps around the track. And each lap, he ran it in one minute and eight seconds. Many of us can't run one lap that fast. (laughs) He did it 112 times, back to 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 back, 112 times. He broke the world record. He broke a barrier that has been in place for a long time. We're going to watch this video really quick. Can we get a light back there? Remember, only the disciplined ones are free in life. If you are in discipline, you are a slave to your moods. You are a slave to your passions. If he does this, everyone will know one marathon runner at least. You know, they'll know the guy that broke two hours from marathon. They'll know him as Elliot, yes. Oh, wow. The scientists in the whole world who are saying the first human being to run under two hours will be in the year 2075. But I have proved them wrong. We have lift off. Apollo Kipchoge is up and away. And the challenge, very easy to say, to run 26.2 miles, 42.2 kilometers in under two hours. Very easy to say rather more difficult to achieve. And though thousands, if not millions of people will be going out for a Saturday run today, well, this could be the most famous Saturday run the world has ever seen. And we're keeping an eye out here for the first changeover. The atmosphere out on the course is absolutely electric. And there is the, uh, the laser pacer, if you like. That is the pace that will bring him home inside two hours. This is going to be, if he does it, an achievement off the scale it's never been done before and i think it transcends running sport and it really truly pushes the boundaries as we've never seen before and we are now ed into the last 20 minutes of this being a a reality is absolutely fascinating his eyes are like dinner plates he's having to talk himself through this He's a man possessed. (laughs) But, you know, he's trying to become a pioneer and a trailblazer right now. And it's a threshold so bold and inconceivable, yet here we stand at the doorstep with the notion that the human spirit can take us across it. If you want to be successful, you must respect one rule. And that rule is never lie to yourself. Come on, he says, come on, this is it. Shalane, a final this thought from you. Incredible. Elliot's performance is such a gift to the world. His running is a gift to all of us. 
I feel so blessed to be here today. I feel like, I hope everyone can hear me smiling through this microphone right now. I cannot stop smiling. Neil Armstrong we had on the moon in 1969. We had Roger Bannister, the four-minute mile 65 years ago. This humble farmer who used to run two miles to school every day and back. He used to go to the nearest town on his bike to sell milk at the local market. And now, through hard work and discipline, he's pointing. Come on, he says. Elliot Kipchoge has the hand of history on his shoulder. Less than 200 meters to go. Elliot Kipchoge has on his shoulder. 140, 140, the unofficial it says and hope does not put us to shame because god's love has been poured out into our hearts through the holy spirit who has been given to us what an inspirational video but also the point is as you're watching it you see you know they talked about he went through some troubling times he went through some tough times he had to work hard There's only about 10 other people in the whole world that could have even attempted that. You know what's crazy? Is because he did that, it gave hope to people. There's going to be other people that are going to break that barrier. And when you allow God to really refine you, when you allow him, when you glory in your suffering, And you will persevere through that. And your character develops. And you start having hope. Other people start to feed off that hope. It inspires other people. Because they see how you got through it. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love, He's been poured out into our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit has been given us. We're going to take the communion. I want to read this scripture. You see... At just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were hopeless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father... We love you. We need you. We are thankful to be at peace with you. We are thankful to be justified by faith. And God, we are also thankful for the suffering that we go through. We're grateful for it because it produces something in us. Because it produces a perseverance that leads to a character. And then then hope is that end result. Something that we truly want. God, I pray that you can give us the same spirit that Paul had, where we, where we rejoice in our weaknesses, where we see that you are working on us. We are going through a process. And Lord, I pray that when we are going through that process, that we see your son who is willing to persevere in order to bring us hope. We love you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.